Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Kuhl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider to the insiders, Tyler Kuhl, welcoming you to this hump day edition of hashtag TKP. We're recording this episode on October the 9th, around 5 o'clock, so you guys are probably eating dinner right about now while we're recording. I actually have dinner in the oven right now, so if I do cut out at one point, I'll probably let you guys know. Uh, just letting you know, I have a meatloaf going right now. I'm pretty excited about it. I've been jonesing for meatloaf for weeks. Do you guys ever get that hankering for a food? You know, you sit there and I'm like, man, I've been jonesing for this or something like that. Or you keep driving by a restaurant or a fast food joint. Like, man, I want something from there. I used to have that issue all the time with, with checkers. So checkers in the Midwest, it's a... It's a, it's a, it's, I guess, like an In-N-Out burger for you folks out west, or well, it's Rally's in the south. Checkers and Rally's, the same company, pretty much. I I would drive where I lived when we lived in Granville. I lived with Alex. I would have to drive down 28th Street to go to the rink, Patterson Ice Center. And from there, back and forth, each way, there were three checkers. There's three checkers. There's one near about five minutes from the rink, one smack dab in the middle between Granville and Kentwood, and then one about a block away from my house. So imagine if you're doing two or three games in a day broadcasting. So you're hungry, but you don't want to get any food because you know you're trying to save money because you're a college dropout, failed pro hockey player. And you drive by these fast food joints every Friday and Saturday night, and you resist. I did succumb to it once. I think Alex and I had a game together my first year. And I literally stopped. I'm like, I got to get some. Because the checkers fries, checkers fries. Guys, I've, I've had In-N-Out burger before. In-N-Out is nothing compared to a Big Buford from checkers. Big Buford, a fry, get a Coke. Not a shake, get a Coke. Because I'm telling you right now, having a pop with this is much better than a milkshake. Milkshakes are good. You know, you go to like your steak and shakes or your Culver's or whatever. But... You go and you get a Coke with this, and man, dude, it just hits the spot for you. Checkers fries, ha, oh, they're just perfect. And that's what I've been kind of having since we, since we really, since we moved in, since we moved into this apartment, Kelly and I, I've been wanting meatloaf so badly. I'm like, you know, I just want to make a meatloaf again. I didn't probably made it in about a year or so. And I make it, I, it's me, and I'm knocking on wood because it's cooking right now. I make a pretty good meatloaf, you know? And Kelly made the clutch move with the glaze because I usually just do a ketchup mustard glaze with some brown sugar. She had some paprika in there, and that had a little kick to her for that glaze, so I think that's going to come out pretty good. This is me doing my Food Network special here on the Kill Podcast. Just letting you guys know, though, if you if you have a specific glaze on your meatloaf or if you're hankering for a kind of food, tell me, tell Alex, tell us. Using the hashtag the Kill Podcast, tweet us at the Kill Podcast, or tweet me. And tell me your ideas of what a good meatloaf glaze is or what you put on your meatloaf by tweeting me at TJKU29. We got a little bit to go over this week. Obviously, it's been eight days since our last show, so a little bit of this will be a little bit older news for you folks. But there is one thing I do want to start off, by the way. Also, check out downtownsportsnetwork.com at DT Sports Network on Twitter. A lot of good content here during the NFL season as well. But one thing I do have to mention, last week, Eric Carlson and his wife, Melinda, gave birth to their baby girl. And if you guys remember, in March of 2018, 
they both lost their son about a month before as a miscarriage. And it was actually early on in this show's history. And it was one of the first episodes where we really, I guess, got I guess, serious, I guess. You know, we you know, we were always, my bro, Alex and I would yell, we'd scream, we'd get all hoopla crazy and all that stuff. But that was one that I think, and it was around, that was around the time too when Jordan Stahl was having issues as well. So there was a lot going on around that time. And Eric Carlson in particular, because I've known folks, I've had friends that have had to go through that kind of deal. And it's, it sucks. I wish I had a, a nicer way to say it other than it sucks, but it's awful. It's you never on your worst enemies. You never wish that upon anybody, but Eric and Melinda, they, they, they moved on and they were able to, and good for them for the strength they had to, and they had one and they had their baby girl. And literally I tweeted out this literally, you know, this makes me incredibly happy. And, you know, I guess some people get excited. I tweeted a lot about, you know, Leafs or random stuff. And I tweet pretty outrageous takes. So when I say something incredibly happy, you know, it may kind of fall on quiet ears. But I I stopped what I was doing. I got a little I – didn't, I didn't cry, but I got a little teared up, a little choked up. Because when you see someone like that and the stuff they had to go through that entire year and see them come out of it and get with – get it, and they give birth to a child – something they wanted to do it's it just warms your heart i mean i don't it made me so happy cuz you know they try and some people aren't that fortunate the gift of life is a wonderful thing and eric and melinda i'm so glad that they've been able to actually experience it and i wish all the best of luck for them being parents and wish the health of their child it is a glorious thing we'll talk a little bit about the sharks a little bit later on here in the show because we got to talk about i mean uh, yeah the the, the team the t- eric's doing well he's has a child and stuff but the, the team itself is kind of mer mer i mean there's jaws and there's blood in the water but it ain't jaws going for it. jaws is running away from this kind of blood but we got to talk about the games last night one in particular calgary against los angeles at the saddle dome Flames and Kings, and of course, what is the storyline? Matthew Kachuk and Drew Doughty. I don't know which part this is. You guys remember it started out early on in Kachuk's career, his rookie season, when he gave Doughty a good elbow. And ever since then, it's been in the press, war of words back and forth, on ice, fisticuffs, pushing, shoving, chirping, all that. And you know what? Early on, this has probably been one of the marquee games this season between these Pacific rivals. And yes, everyone knows that I picked Los Angeles to finish bottom of the division. I picked Calgary to finish in the top two once again. But you know that this is going to bring the best out of the two teams. And boy, LA early on, they were they were looking like the team that was going to finish second. Calgary was having issues against them, and the Kings were running rough shot. They go up 3-0, and then something crazy happens. We'll talk about Milan Lucic and some, and with, with another event that happened last week here in a minute but a crazy thing i know we always talk about how fighting in this game is you know on its way out and all that i get that that happens but you know matthew kachuk throws a big hit on when they're down three nothing in the second and then milan lucic gets gets into a gets into a fight a little bit of a tussle and you know what it turned the game around it's old school thought 
but it worked. It's incredible how one game can change with a fight or with a hit or something like that. It's a momentum changer. It's a game changer. And, you know, people think, wow, you really don't, I mean, you don't need fighting to win a hockey game. That's true. But you know what? You're down three, nothing. Your team's getting their, their stuff pumped in you. Guess what? You got to find a spark somehow. Shoot. You play NHL, you played shell and you know, you win a fight and energy gained up and everyone has full stamina again. It's because that's legitimately what happens. You see a fight out there and your guy's giving him and he may not land all the punches, but the fact that someone's stepping up there, it gets the boys going. Gets him fired up on the bench. Brings a new level of energy to the to the lineup. And you know what? Milan Lucic, despite everything I've... I mean, listen, he's a guy that can't play hockey. He skates around kind of. I've seen guys who play Sunday Beer League who have, who have better skating ability than he does. But he goes in there and he does his job. He gets in there, throws a few punches, and boy, Calgary starts on a tear. First, Matthew Kachuk scores. Makes it a one-goal game. Then Noah Hannafin gets a goal. And then, to tie the game up, holy cow. Like, Jack Campbell was not having a bad game for L.A. at all. But then Kachuk's goal, guys. The double tap. I mean, everyone's talking about Spets' feed to Goche on Saturday night, the one that may or may not have been a high stick. Kachuk, I, that was a high stick. <laughs> that, that was going straight Mike Leg lacrosse. He knocks it. The puck's going off to the side. He knocks it up in the air. It knocks it back towards the goal, and it goes in off Campbell. That's that's quality. That is excellent. That is skill. That is perseverance, determination, and focus. Because be able to bat the puck around and actually get it towards the goal. That's just not something you can do blind. I mean, or something that you're not doing while you're paying attention. You got to know what you're doing. You got to be able to be focused on that play to get the puck to simply have the wherewithal to knock it back towards the goal after you knock it up and bat it out of the air. I've, I mean, like maybe like Sidney Crosby's done that. I think Paul Correa, I know, used to do that quite a bit. Of course, like I said, there was a goal by Jason Spezza, but it's it's so rare to see someone do that. And now, of course, today, everyone's like, oh, man, Matthew Kachuk is underrated. You know, he's not well-respected. Listen, I never said Kachuk is a bad hockey player. There's a reason why he was one of the many RFAs that everyone was pointing at this year saying, boy, he is going to get paid. And, of course, he got a bridge deal with the Calgary Flames for a couple of years here, or a few years, excuse me. But that was a big turning point because simply Kachuk just went in there and he had, I think, 14 hits in the game. I couldn't tell you how many shots attempted he had. He was all over the ice. When Calgary was starting to mount that comeback, but so the Flames tie it up. And then, of course, in overtime, the great moment in Calgary, Drew Doughty scores on the power play to win the game. Of course. It's perfect. Shakespeare's in his grave is saying, where art thou storyline from my plays or whatever the heck you, I don't know how I'd say it. Listen, iambic pentameter is not really my thing, guys, okay? I did, we did have to read Romeo and Juliet and we studied Macbeth in high school. I'm just... Talking like it, I better talking like Yoda. All right, I can do the mm, scores Doughty does in overtime. All right, I've lost you guys. Okay, cool. Welcome back. All right, got you back in here. But and then of course Doughty sees the fans in the corner and they're pounding the glass back at him. He slams the glass. He's laughing at him. He gets the last laugh. Kings win in overtime. And you know what, guys? I'm not gonna you know knock the Kings before anything else happens here, but you know. It is early on in the season. It's incredibly early. 
to be talking about how LA's back. I mean, shoot, Alex and I went to the Wings game last night. Wings were playing the Ducks at home. I grabbed my mighty Ducks, my mighty Ducks sweater, not the new D, not the new Ducks logo, the Anaheim Ducks, the mighty Ducks, Disney's Ducks. And I wore that to the game, and I was happy because the Ducks won. John Gibson, by the way, my that first period. I t- so I tweet out after the first period, shots were only seven eleven because the Ducks I think had three or four in like the final two minutes. Because for 15 minutes of that first period, John Gibson, we joke about it. You know, what's Gibby thinking about? You know, we joke about what he's thinking and how, oh my gosh, his team's awful. They looked awful. <laughs> they couldn't clear the puck. They they were hemmed in their own zone. I don't know who the heck you Gooley is. I mean, Ducks fans, tweet at me, please, and tell me who the heck Gooley is and where the heck he came from. He doesn't have a picture. And you know what? He... John Gibson saved their bacon, and the wings, the the Red Wings, looked like the dominant team. But then I tweet out saying, "Man, Ducks fans, yikes! You know it's gonna be eighty-two games of this." But then you quick look around and just think, "Wow, this that team is pretty good." I mean they they are they come back, get a couple of goals, a couple lucky ones, a couple lucky bounces, but they end up winning the game three to one, and I just you almost want to laugh almost of how weird this, the first few weeks of the season is. Cause I mean, guys, ducks are three and zero right now. And so are the Oilers, but it's only a few games in. So you really can't get too judgmental about it, but the duck or too, you know, going crazy about it. Cause like I said, the Blackhawks only played one game. So you can't really point that and say, wow, man, they're, they're way behind. They're zero and one. Well, yeah, so are the Flyers because they both played overseas and they have to give them a week off because from the from jet lag because, geez, you want to burn out a team. That's how you do it right there. But it's a little bit weird right now. I mean, this is where a lot of assumptions come in. Everyone's talking about, oh, my gosh, this guy's heart trophy. This guy's this. This guy's that. Well, why not? Well, I can tell you what is for sure. The storm surges back. It's a bummer Alex isn't here because he'd be losing his mind. Hurricanes are 4-0 and right now. Coming out of the Metropolitan Division, and they're and they are playing really well. They are on a good they're on a good run. They've they've had to come back, I think, in all their wins, or at least most of them. They've had to play from behind. But James Reimer got the win last night. And you know what? It's and I'm just glad I'm I'm honestly glad the storm surges back, you know, because they kind of nixed it for the playoffs and they started it just like they did last year, just skating down and going in the glass. Because you just know if they try to go off what they had at the end of last season, at what point they're just going to be like flying off like pendulum, like David Lee Roth used to do at a Van Halen concert where you swing on a pendulum across the stage. Eventually, you're just going to see it's going to be awful. It's going to be Sebastian Ajo after a hat trick just coming swinging on down or Noah or something like that. Or Dougie Hamilton is going to be shot out of a cannon or something like that. After they and you know what if that were to happen it'd be after they play the Blue Jackets I mean you just know that's how it's gonna go, but I, I it's it's such a weird part of the season where you look at a team like you look at San Jose you know zero four Alex and I still picked them to be in a playoff spot by the end of the season. I think we st- I picked them to finish third. I think Alex did as well. They start off the year 0-4. Martin Jones is not looking good. 
it's not going well for him. Arendelle is supposed to be starting tomorrow night for the Sharks, but I mean, look at these games. Now, granted, yes, two of them were against Vegas, and yes, Evander Kane was out for the first three. You lose 4-1 then 5-1 to the Knights, home and home, and then you play the next night against the Ducks and you get at home and you get beat 3-1. Then you go to Nashville last night, and yeah, playing and playing against Nashville is always tough, but boy, boy, oh boy, did are there weak spots on this hockey club? Is age finally catching up with San Jose? I mean, for goodness sakes, they got outscored 17-5 to in the first four games. I don't care what point of the season it is. When you get outscored that badly for that stretch of time, you got to look at, I mean, that's time to look within. I mean, I, yeah, it's not like an 0-4 start in football where half your season's over, or quarter of your season's over already, and you may as well pack it in. And you have 82 games to figure it out. But, like, you're just looking at what's wrong with this team and, you know, there, there are clearly holes in the lineup. Uh, yes, Eric Carlson on one leg. We've talked about it 100,000 times. It's not going to be sustainable. How do you like the play of Martin Jones? You can't. How are you supposed to look at Aaron Dell and think, wow, he allowed, I mean, he's only allowed four goals in the two games he's played. He's only started one. Just remember that. He's, he start, he's getting a second start tomorrow night. But, man, Martin Jones, I just, I don't like, I mean, geez, for Jones, 70 shots. He's allowed 12 goals on, that'd be 82 shots. Sorry, 82 shots, 70 saves. It's just, you're trying to figure out where this team is going to go wrong. Are they going to have another year like last year where they have to kind of sneak into the third spot or the second spot? Because it ain't going to be goaltending the way Jones is looking. I mean, Brent Burns will probably lead the team in points once again. I don't know. I don't see why he wouldn't. I just, you you want to see where, I mean, you have, Timo Meyer's got to step up too. He's got to be a guy. You don't just pay a guy like that, that amount of money and let him slide. Now everyone's pointing at Willie Nylander from last year, but that were those were completely different circumstances. This guy was here on game one. He needs to be better. So, with San Jose, what needs to happen? I mean, it's almost like Los Angeles. You know, what's what needs to happen with L.A.? They need to get younger? Well, the Sharks are not going to get any younger because, as of yesterday, Patrick Marlowe signing a one-year contract with the San Jose Sharks, $700,000 league minimum for the veteran. And, I mean, all signs were pointing towards this happening, but... With all the cash strap that happened with San Jose this past summer, it didn't look like it was going to happen. So even when the start of the year happened, like, oh, man, it's it may not work. It may not work. Looks like Marlowe may be out of a job. And then Doug Wilson pulls this one here today. He will be in the lineup tomorrow night, according to Cat Friendly Depth Charts, at Cat Friendly Death Charts, or Depth Charts, not Death Charts, Depth Charts. Emphasis on the P. But... I mean, Marlowe coming in there is more or less an experience thing, but look at all this experience they have. You have Brent Burns. You have Logan Couture. You have Joe Thornton, and now you bring in Patrick Marlowe. Eric Carlson's there. Mark Vlasic. These, there's experience here. It's clearly age, and 
people are always saying like, wow, this would not happen if Pavelski wasn't here or if Pavelski was here. I'm like, yeah, if Pavelski was here, it'd be different. But what would the team be, two and two? I, I don't see this team being bad because they lose Joe Pavelski. I see this team being bad because they're getting older and older. And Martin Jones is not Martin Jones when he was traded away from Los Angeles. The first couple of years with San Jose, when they made it to the finals, he's not the same Martin Jones. Joe Thornton doesn't have any knees left. His muscles and his knees are gone. Evander Kane, you're looking at Evander Kane, Lone Couture, and Brent Burns as your three best players. And really, that's where it ends. Melker Carlson's not going to put up big numbers. Kevin LeBanc, despite only getting $1 million, he's not going to be a, your go-to guy. You need guys like Timo Meyer to step up. You're going to have to have, you're going to hope Joe Thornton does well because you're paying him to be there. Yes, Marlowe and Thornton will be cheap contracts, but you're filling roster spots with those guys. Tomas Hurdle, my goodness, Hurdle the Turtle. He clearly has crawled into his shell. This team needs to bounce back, and I, you need to bounce back quickly because, you know, like I said, it's an 82-game season, and yes, last year's champs were in dead last in the, begin- at the beginning of the new year. But I don't understand... If you go 0-7 or 0-8 or 0-9 or whatever, is it time to start looking within? Is DeBoer going to be out of a job? And yes, how does a coach that started, you know, that took a team to the conference finals last year get fired? Well, it's pretty simple, pretty easy. I mean, it's happened before, but I just don't know where, what the limit will be. I And it is hard with coaches that make the playoffs like this. Is Doug Wilson going to give him a one-year buffer? He's probably going to give him time to figure it out because of all the work DeBoer has put in for this hockey club. But you got to try to find where it's going to get better for this team. And you hope it happens quick because, I mean, 0-10, yeah, you can come back from that, but it sure as heck won't be easy, especially when you have teams like Vegas, like our team like Arizona, who is still there. Don't let anyone tell you different. Despite the fact they are 0-2, Arizona's there, and you know, the Canucks got to be play- – I mean, the Canucks got to be a lot better than what they're supposed to be. But, I mean, if you got to see who's going to step up on that team for San Jose if they want any chance of making their way back to the top. Going back to Calgary, because this is one thing I want to talk about. Remember talking about Milan Lucic getting into a fight last night, making a big deal. Well, here was a fight that wasn't really supposed to happen. So, Nikita Zadorov of the Colorado Avalanche. You guys know where I'm going with this. Puts uh, puts Austin Jarnik in from behind after Jarnik turned. And, you know, let's let's first dissect the hit here before we get into all the hoopla that happened afterwards. Jarnik gets in there, and he did a no-no. He did a no-no. He go into the corner, and he turned his back. He was going down into the – he was going to go behind the net, and he turned up. Zadorov was going in there, was going to angle him off, and he turned right in, and it looked bad because, boom, there's numbers right there. You can't stop. There are times when, yes, a boarding penalty, a checking from behind penalty should be called, and that's when the guy's clearly got the numbers in, and that defenseman's coming after him. You see it happen all the time. This was not one of those cases. However, as I've said before on the show, and I had a little bit of back and forth with a couple people on Twitter about this, they were, we were talking about how, you know, what's he supposed to do? You know, or I'm like, my goodness, you know, why, why does this happen? I mean, because obviously after the big hit, or after the hit, Milan Lucic, who's on the ice, steps in, 
and starts, he, he gave him a few punches, sucker punched him. Didn't do, do it right away, gave a couple body shots, trying to get him to fight, and then when he didn't, he gave him one upside the head. Which then was Zadorov saying, said, wow, maybe I should drop the gloves, because Zadorov was trying not to fight, because he didn't want to. But the thing is, I was going back with people on Twitter one was, you know, it, it wasn't a, that bad of a hit, but it's it's not the fact that it wasn't that bad of a hit, and yes, Jarnik was able to continue on, but it's the fact that in today's game, if there is a big hit or a borderline questionable hit, whether it be from behind, boarding, headshot, blindside, knee, whatever, someone on the ice will step up. And the fact that Milan Lucic was out there made it pretty clear that something was going to happen. Gloves were going to be off. And I do have a problem with Zadorov not recognizing this. I get it. Some guys think that they're not in the wrong. Some guys believe that they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't have to fight because they hit a guy because they think they're not in the wrong. But you have to be aware of that. Hey, I act. I may have. It may have been an accident that I hit this player from behind. But guess what? Nobody's gonna let you get away with it. This is not 1984 where that happens every single second, so you can't be fighting all the time, even though they kind of did back then. But Zadorov gets jumped by Lucic. Zadorov doesn't do anything. Did Lucic need to punch him in the face? Probably not. Lucic probably should have realized that he didn't want to fight. And yes, we like we talked about with the fight last night against Los Angeles, we know what Lucic's role on the Flames is. Bring a little toughness in there, bring a couple punches here and there, and try to get their team off the game by playing, trying to play scared. Hit the body, fight. He's not there to put up 20 goals. He's not there to put up 10 goals. He's there to simply play a role. He is the last of the enforcer. He is the last actual enforcer because anyone that fights nowadays can actually play, except for Mijal Lucic. I don't agree with the fact that he that he's clearly aware that Zadorov doesn't want to fight, but you don't have to punch him in the face. Push him. Knock him down. Push him up in... He had him up against the glass. Shoot. Do what the, do what the do what bouncers do to you at a club. Grab him by the, by the shoulders and pin him up against the glass and say a couple things to him that you probably don't like and don't let him go. Because then maybe if you make him mad enough, maybe then he'll fight. Then, he'll get, then you'll be able to get yours. I don't agree with straight up punching a guy. Even though I say this, and yes, uh, there have been things I've done in the past playing, but that's neither here nor there. It's it's the fact that you see a guy that's unwilling to fight. If you want to send a message, there's a different way than punch someone in the face. And I'm not going to go with the oh softy, put him up on the scoreboard. You know, it's all about the scoreboard. No, you can scare a guy physically without punching him in the face or antagonizing someone without punching him in the face. Give him a couple hard cross checks, make him mad, have him slash you. Because then if he slashes you, I mean, it's almost like a self-defense thing. Then you have every right to go after him. That's okay. But a guy that didn't make any contact with you coming at him with a punch in the face, I don't like that. This whole play, this whole event was all sorts of bad. Jarnik for turning the corner. Zadorov, I'm not going to blame Zadorov for the hit. That's not his fault. Jarnik turned. I blame Zadorov 
for not realizing though that something like this happens, someone's going to step up and thinking that he is out, that he is clear, he's clean and clear, he's out of the blue, he's not, nothing's going to happen. He's out of dodge. That's not that's not how this game works, Nikita. That's not it's not how the NHL is. That's not how go to high school, college, juniors. You hit someone, someone's giving you a whack. It's not that's just how the game is. Would I like to be different? I don't know, because I if you let if you take fighting out of the game or you take out players standing up for themselves, guess what? People are gonna run with their elbows and sticks up and people think they're gonna get away with it. And then, yes, you got to blame Lucic as well for pretty much sucker punching an unwilling contestant. Eventually, yes, the gloves kind of had to come off for a little bit and the refs had to step in, but it's a whole, this whole scenario, this whole kit and caboodle, everyone's to blame that was involved in this. Jarni for turning, Zadorov for not realizing that, yes, someone's going to fight, and Lucic for punching him in the face. People that are defending Zorov, I get it. People that are defending Lucic, I get it. People that are pointing at Jarnik and not saying anything are wrong, because that needs to that needs to change. I you got it. You learn in hockey. You go in the corner. You don't turn. If you're gonna turn, you better turn quickly enough that you're not gonna get hit. Because if you do, you're the one at fault. Had Zadorov gone in there knowing that Jarnik was turned, if he was back first, about good for a good second or so, yeah. Zadorov gets the gate for sure, 100%. But fortunately, that's how the game goes. Jarnik turns, Zadorov falls through, Lucic steps up, everyone gets mad, Twitter's great, everyone's having a good time up in Calgary. But I'm the thing is that Zadorov does have a reputation in the Pacific and in the West, or in the Central, excuse me, and in the West, of being a very physical player and kind of being a little... Little on the edge at times, but I just I don't see why. I mean, everything about it was Zadorov was playing his game, playing physical. He caught he was caught in a bad spot. I just don't like the fact that he didn't step up because he, you know, when you hit someone hard into the boards from behind, whether you meant to or whether you didn't mean to, someone's gonna come say hello and not in a pleasant way. But moving on from that. Uh, let's go look at some quick news and notes from the week that was, including some a lot of news from today. Vladislav Nemestikov has been traded from the New York Rangers to the Ottawa Senators. Nemestikov, whose first game with the Rangers was against Winnipeg, that 6-4 win for the Rangers against the Jets, and then he gets traded when the team was going to Ottawa. He has played the last... Three seasons with the Rangers. Excuse me, past two years, excuse me, I had to burp there. Putting up 35 points in two seasons. He actually split time in 2017-2018 with Tampa Bay. Remember, that was the trade that brought Ryan McDonough over and JT Miller as well. But, you know, I this, this is a trade. It's weird because the Rangers hold 750 grand of it. They retained, which... Is odd because Ottawa still has plenty of room. So that I quite didn't understand. But you know what? Things happen. Stuff happens. So I I like, you know what? It gives the Meskov an opportunity because you can tell the Rangers are really trying to build something here and getting guys like Kako and guys like Panarin. The Meskov's not going to play a whole lot with those top guys. So I think getting him an opportunity to go play with the Senators, which a team that will give him plenty of playing time, He'll be a guy that could be on the power play. 
a guy that will, you know, he'll play a big role, be a, playing in the top two, playing in the top six, excuse me. So good for him. He gets, gets some playing time. I mean, he's always played for a good hockey club before coming to the Rangers, playing for Tampa from, from at least for the majority, from 2014 until 2018. I He's always been a guy that's been underlying a decent player. I mean, he put 44 he put up 48 points, excuse me, that 2017-2018 season, which at the time was a career high. And, you know, he could be a guy that the Senators could use. And in terms of the return for Nemestikov, that was Nick Ebert and a 2021 fourth-round pick going back to the Rangers. So it's really, I don't know if you want to call it a cap dump or whatnot, but you're moving a player off your roster that you really aren't going to have use for here in the future. So good awareness there by Jeff Gordon and Glenn Sather to realize that now, before it's too late, when Nemesikov's value is low, that you may not even get a conditional seventh. At least you're getting a player and a draft pick, a decent draft pick in return. A couple injuries announced here today, or at least, well, a couple from today, one a little bit earlier this week to announce today Connor Sheary announced week to week with an upper body injury for the Buffalo Sabres and a team my goodness Buffalo I I know I you want them to do better I say this in the weirdest way you want them to do well but my goodness this hockey club just for some reason just cannot seem to figure it out because Ralph Kruger comes in Mr. Ralph Kruger defensive mind defense defensively mindly gifted no defensively gifted mind there we go words mouth tyler defensively gifted mind ralph Kruger, and they gave up what was it 45 shots against columbus the other night i don't i know i'm not the most you know statistically inclined or analytically inclined but that's a not a good game, especially against a Columbus team like I pounded home this entire summer. Has not been that good. They really haven't. That game was on Sunday, and looking at the quick box score here, I'm gonna get a quick list of the shots here if I can, because Columbus ended up winning in overtime magically because Texier scored the game winner. Let's see, shots on goal were 44 to 18. Linus Allmark just put in his ballot or his application for starting goaltender because Jonas Koprasalo, boy, talk about an easy game. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, Koprasalo, I always talked about how that he may not be the guy to be the proper successor to Sergei Bobrovsky, but. Buffalo, man, geez, I, I don't know what to expect with them. I mean, I, mean, I know Jeff Skinner, is a, you know, he's going to produce and he's going to put up points, so will Eichel, but the team itself is just going to be bad. You know, I, I don't, losing Connor Sherry, one of your depth guys, is going to hurt them moving forward. Now, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I talked a little bit, I think we talked a little bit about them last week with Alex before the season started because we are talking about Sidney Crosby. But... Let's just kind of go through what is going on here. So I jumped on ESPN.com. I don't know why I did this. Because, of course, it was announced on Saturday, or from or at least announced on Sunday, that Malkin is out long term. Longer term, excuse me. 
apparently this came all came from the game against Columbus on Saturday, the Pittsburgh Penguins game, that is. And Malkin lower body is the word. Injury occurred possibly then, and he is out for, they are saying, six, it was initially reported six to ten weeks, a little bit longer term now. We don't know if it's going to be, you know, December, if it's going to be January. A guy like Malkin who really want, who really needed to step up this year to show that he didn't need to play with Phil Kessel, and I say that in the weirdest way because Evgeny Malkin's a fantastic hockey player. But the last few years, he's really had to rely on how Phil Kessel's done because those two, despite their very obvious differences in each other, one had to be one had to step up, and they both they both somehow clicked. And Malkin wanted to show that he's still a top player in this league, despite obviously he's a little bit on the decline. And now getting hurt, missing time is definitely not going to help that. And then Mike Sullivan confirmed here this morning: Alex Galchenyuk and Patrice or Patrick Hornquist are both day-to-day, and I, I just, if there's a team that, I mean, I will say this, if you're going to get hit with the injury bug, why not do it week one of the season? Because you have time for your players to rest up and get ready for a possible playoff push, even though Pittsburgh is going to be fighting for a playoff spot this year, and I mean, that's going to be a battle for them to get into it this year. But they need to try to find a way to try to overcome this, and you know, they, they're still good talent there. I mean, you still have Jake Gensel. You, Chris Letang is still there. Matt Murray can still steal you games now and again. But as a team and you're seeing all these guys go down, you're, you're giving a lot of players, a lot of younger players opportunities. Guys from Wilkes-Barre getting called up on the daily, it seems like. So you're going to see a lot of new faces with the Penguins here in the next little bit. But, you know, with the veteran leadership that they have, they should be able to get through it. And you never can count. And it's... I'm sure I'm not the first person you've all heard me heard say this, but you can't count on a team of Sidney Crosby. You still can. He's still one of the best players in the game, and I still, despite you know, despite some injuries here and despite McDavid showing off his stuff, I'd still rather have Sidney Crosby on my hockey club because he knows how to win now. He knows what it takes to win now. Connor McDavid could easily give me 50, 60 goals in a season. I get that, but... If I'm going to get an expansion team and I can pick anyone I want, Sidney Crosby is my first pick because, duh. You get a guy who, on a peng- don't forget, on a Penguins team last season that barely squeaked into the playoffs, Sidney Crosby was still, Crosby was still a Hart Trophy candidate because he had an incredible year. He's still in, He's still one of the most valuable players in this league. So, that's one of the big intangibles for Pittsburgh here going through the season is, yes, people will doubt them. Will this be the year they miss the playoffs? Possibly, but Crosby's there, Malkin's there, Latang's there. This team knows how to win, and you know what? I'm sure they're exhausted from, I mean, they've been going to the playoffs for 15, 14 years now. I think going back all the way to, what, 07 it was. So this team is... They have a lot to go on here, and they're they're they're, they're tired. They played a lot of hockey over the last decade or so, and you know what's the driving force for this team? Jim Rutherford up up top in the press box. Is he looking at this hockey team and still thinking they're a legitimate contender? You you can't. If you're just trying to win for Crosby and Malkin's sake, 
It's kind of like how it was for a few last couple years there for Kane and Taves before they started missing the playoffs. So I want to see how now what the decisions are moving forward. Malkin was there was whispers that he was on the trade block. Those have gone away. If he doesn't come back and play well, and Pittsburgh's not clearly not going to be able to make a run to a legitimate playoff spot, he may be on the move. What's going to happen with Chris Letang? Will Tristan Jari get traded? Or will he be the starter? Who knows? But there's a lot of stuff going on in Pittsburgh right now that definitely has cause for concern. Michael McCarron, going over to Montreal, has been placed on waivers by the Habs. Michael McCarron, a guy that played, has been off. He's gone back and forth between Laval and Montreal for the past few seasons since the Habs have really taken a dip in the standings. And I, when I wrote about him for the hockey writers, I put him up there. I believe I had him just outside the top 10 and for top, or I think he was in the top 10, excuse me, for ranking the centers in Montreal. And I really think this was it. He had one more shot and Nick Suzuki came into camp and impressed and got, got a spot on the roster. And they realized McCarron, despite having a one-way deal, was not going to be worth it. Might not going to be worth the worth the roster spot. It's a bummer. I mean, the guy worked hard, but he just he just didn't have it. You know, he didn't have the ability to make it to the NHL. So we'll see if he clears tomorrow. If so, he'll have an opportunity to go play in Laval. If he does get picked up, well, best of luck to wherever he goes. Couple of performances this past weekend that we have to this past week, excuse me, that we have to definitely mention and. Be appreciative of. So Sunday, after the Wings beat Nashville in Smashville, they came back home for their home opener to play the Stars from Dallas. Anton Hudobin got the start for the big D in the D. That that did not sound right at all. Dallas and Detroit, two teams that start with the letter D played against each other. Hudobin got the start, and Anthony Mantha, had himself a day. And, you know, for a team that obviously, yes, all the leadership signs are pointing towards Larkin at possibly being the next captain, Anthony Manta will be a fine second. I can tell you that because puts up four goals. <laughs> four goals against the Stars. Dallas went up in that game 2-0, and Manta really started to turn on. He had that nice goal where he wrapped one around, made a nice move right in, in tight against Hudobin. Had a couple, had a, I think a tap-in goal as well. And scored to have the eventual game winner. And you know what? He he looked really good. And looked confident, too. And I remember back when he first came to Grand Rapids, he came out of Val d'Or, was the leading scorer of the Quebec League. And Alex and I just looked at it. We watch him. We go watch him in these games. And he'd look awful. And Jeff Blashill was his coach. And he really ran through the ringer because he never looked like a good professional hockey player. He looked like a guy that felt like he was the cat's meow even long before he was any good enough to even consider anything like that. So when Mantha finally made that jump to the NHL, which my brother and I both kind of laughed at, I'm like, wow, geez, this Detroit team must be bad. And and we kind of he wasn't quite of kind of finding his footing. He was putting up some points, but he wasn't the Mantha. Now it seemed like last year and now going into this year, he is definitely he I he's already my pick to be the leading scorer 
on this Red Wings roster. He has the he has a good shot. He has good hands. He's learning offensive awareness. He's learning to play harder against NHL defensemen. He's learning what it needs to be consistent in the NHL. I and I kept telling people, and I remember I was sitting next to a, season, a couple season ticket holders last night, and they were joke. First of all, trying to figure out why I was wearing a duck sweater, and and I was, you know I told them how I'm a Leafs fan or whatever. Like wow, I'm like how'd you you know leave the wings and then. I always tell everyone, I'm not a bandwagoner. I, oh, man, the Wings are bad. Let's cheer for the Leafs now. No, I cheered for the Leafs when Jonas Gustafsson was their starter, okay? It was Jonas Gustafsson stopping the Leafs that save in the preseason that really made me a full-scale Leafs fan. I cheered for both for the longest time, but that save tipped me off. So, but I look at the Detroit Red Wings, and I see the talent up front. I see the compete. And Jeff Blaschel, I saw the video on Twitter of him talking about, we're going to surprise some teams this year, guys, after I believe it was after the Dallas win. And I agree. You know, the those games between Detroit and Toronto, the Saturday night including, first game in, at the Little Caesars Arena on Saturday night, there could be some games. I'm not, I would not be surprised if the series was split this season, if it went 2-2. Two and two. I truly think that the Leafs will have their issues. I mean, you saw how they played against, you know, how they played against Montreal, how Ottawa was in the game for the first period and a half, first period and a half. You know, they're going to have some issues with the with the, with the lower teams, but I think Detroit's going to be a team that really give them run for their money and I think that's one of those games those games where we must watch because they may not be close in the standings by the end of it all, but people look back at those games like, "Well, those are some tough hockey games." The other game we got to mention, though, of course, is, or the other guy we got to talk about, good performance, James Neal. Neal scored four goals himself against the Islanders last night in Long Island. And, you know, we talked about how Milan Lucic's role with. The Calgary Flames is going to be the tough guy. Doesn't need to worry about scoring. Because when he came to Edmonton, he was supposed to be the guy that protects McDavid and scores. And that didn't work out. James Neal has a scoring touch. That's something Lucic has never had playing in the NHL. And, you know, he he's a guy that, you know, last year he didn't really, he couldn't find his footing with Calgary, like we said, only scoring seven goals. How do you go from seven to 25? Well, you do it doing that. And he is looking like he's returning to form. And yes, he's already, yes, with the four-goal game, he's already won behind last year's total. But, you know, he's really showing that, I think, playing with this team that needs more offense and him getting opportunities to be offensive is going to be important. He was a guy that was expected to play third-line minutes and score. He, not with a guy like James Neal. You know, his year with Vegas, it was a pretty apparent sign of why he was such a big part of that team is because he played on the second line. He played in those big areas, played power play minutes that gave him an opportunity to score. And that's what really ended up leading to a successful year, 25 goals. And it was, I guess, and that was the most in a couple years. In 2016, he had, or excuse me, 2015, he had 31 goals, which was second to his 40-goal season. He scored with the Penguins back in 2011, 2010-2011, that is. 
2012, pardon me, but he he was such an exceptional player. So he has an exceptional talent. So him scoring four goals, yes, is impressive, but it shouldn't be as, as surprising as it is. It's just surprising considered how his season went last year. And with Edmonton, who knows if this team will even come close to the playoff spot this year. But Neil is going to get a bigger opportunity to be a bigger player in this league. And I really like that because, you know, he deserves to get an opportunity. He's really shown that no matter how old he's gotten, no matter how much how much little playing time he's received at times or how things have been going, he still can put a goal in when you need it. And Edmonton, I want to see him play more. I'd love to see him try to play a little more with McDavid, see how that'll go, but that may be something they use more for the power play. But big weekends for Mantha, big big games excuse me for Mantha and Neil. We'll see how that. Let's see if they'll. I don't think they'll be able to be consistent with four goals a game, but hey, they're at a good pace. Because shoot, at this rate, James Neal will be scoring. Let's see, two goals. That's a hundred and sixty-four goal pace right now. Let's see if he can be able to pull it off. I don't know if he'll be able to. I think Mika Zibanejad's at about a three hundred goal pace too, or three hundred point pace. I think it is for the Rangers. So it's that early in the season, folks. Let's lose our darn minds. However, some big news that came down today, or at least a big announcement, the Vancouver Canucks, their home opener is tonight. They return to Rogers Arena for the first time this season. They will be taking on the Los Angeles Kings, who defeated the Flames last night. So Kings on their, I I can't, it's so weird to call it a road trip because it's not for them because they're just playing within their division because I'm so used to having, you know, the Leafs playing out west in their Death Valley trip or their Northwest Canada trip. And there, there's a lot of, obviously, ex, you know, some speculation regarding this game. Not because, you know, it's a big deal, you know, home opener, 50th season of the Canucks. It's a big deal, of course, but the biggest notion, biggest thing to look at is because tonight... The Vancouver Canucks, according to Travis Green, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, is that they will announce their captain tonight. It looks like Vancouver is taking a page straight out of the Toronto Maple Leafs book. Remember how John Tavares was announced as captain at the end of the line? So who will it be here tonight for the Canucks when they do their player introductions? And there's been a lot of signs, a lot of, you know, a lot of signs, a lot of fingers pointing at Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat, considerably, maybe you consider an old soul, if you will. He is a guy, like, he's been around this team for a long time. And he's been through some teams that have been pretty bad. What does this, I guess the biggest question is, what does this mean? Will Bo Horvat get the C? I, you know, you would like to think so, you know? He's an exceptional player. He is a veteran on this team. He's been around Vancouver enough to really, really give it a good reason why that he'd be the captain. But if you, I mean, the biggest thing you really have to do with this team is look down the list of players who else it would be. You know, I'm not saying this is, you know, they're giving it to Horvat because, you know, if you need to give it to a guy, give it to him. Because we've seen with other teams in this league that you don't need to give it to a guy. You don't need to make someone a captain just because. But I guess right now with you know with Jim Benning and 
Travis Green at the helm right now, they determined that they need someone to be the guy. They need someone to put the C on. And, you know, really looking at it, I mean, yeah, you have veteran players on the team like Jordy Ben, like Jay Beagle, like Tyler Myers, but those guys haven't been here long enough. Beagle played last year for the first time, and yeah, Louis Erickson's been there for a minute or two, but I don't think he's the guy you want. Alex Edler would really be the only other option, but all signs are right now pointing to him being on his way out with the Canucks, so that really leads Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat, who, by the way, was born a grand total of a month and two weeks after my birthday, or my birth, excuse me, he was born at about a month and month and two days after. Just want everyone to know that. I don't. It's not really of any importance, but I mean, he's a guy that has produced. He's a guy that has been looked by the Canucks as one of their top players every year. Put up a career best sixty-one points last season, and you know, I just you think he's only going to go up from here too, and. The Canucks are—they're going to want to have a leader that's ready to be on this hockey club. You know, was there was there were initial talks. Remember how Brock Besser's first year and a half were going? They were ever everyone was saying, "Man, Brock Besser, maybe the next captain of the Canucks." You know, here in a year or two, and I guess that's kind of fallen on soft ears as well. So, and really, I don't see who else it would be if they give it to Edler tonight. I wouldn't be mad. Maybe just a little disappointed, I guess. I Sad? I, I don't think Edler's the kind of guy to do it because that just sounds like you're just giving it to a veteran. But Bo Horvat's a guy that's, a, a I guess you could say, a veteran or close to it, but is a guy that is going to lead this team and is willing to lead this team. And if he, if he does get the C, obviously that confirms it because you don't just grab the C on your... You don't put the C on your sweater just because... You know, he's a guy that wants to see this team grow into a playoff contender. They're close, I will say that. They're not, I don't think they're there yet. There's a couple areas, goaltending being one, defense depth being another. But, you know, he wants to see it through and through the way it sounds. And everyone's saying he's an old soul and that he's a guy that wants to be a part of this team. They want to be part of the future of the Vancouver Canucks. And that's a kind of a guy, that's the type of character, the type of mindset you want in a captain. So we'll see how it goes tonight. Like it'll be a seven o'clock Pacific time puck drop, 10 o'clock Eastern time for the rest of us. So probably it'll be me finding out in the morning who gets captain, or I'll probably get it on my phone. I'll probably be still awake with my luck. I'll be working with Davenport stuff here. But folks, that is it for this one. I have a meatloaf that is ready to be consumed with mashed potatoes made by the fiance. I will give her credit through and through. And she also did chop up the onions and garlic as well. She did a little prep work with me, but I like to think the meatloaf is my idea. Nonetheless, folks, thank you once again for listening to this week's episode of the Cure Podcast. Be sure to talk about this episode. Tell us who you think will be the Vancouver Canucks captain. Tell us what you think of the Nikita Zadorov hit. Tell us what you think about the San Jose Sharks' poor start. Use the hashtag, the Cure Podcast, hashtag TKP. Let us know what you think of the NHL season thus far. We'll be back next week, folks, for more... See, she even said it time for dinner herself, even though I was just talking about how good it's going to be. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Fuel Podcast. We will see you next time. <laughs>